quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her questions via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her responses or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. This book becomes a legacy, something your future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I used mylifeinabook.com to compile my own stories to give to my daughters for Mother's Day. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code PEACE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code PEACE for 10% off today. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood. Yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found connected parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Welcome back to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle, and I'm so glad you're here. I want to talk about schools a little bit. I spent 13 years in public school. I was a elementary schools teacher. I started out in kindergarten without a credential when they were issuing emergency credentials way back when. And I taught a biliterate class. So I taught my kids in Spanish and in English. And I worked in the inner city in San Diego. And after that, I moved to a high school where I taught ESL. I also spent a bunch of time substituting in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, until I landed at Santa Monica High School teaching Spanish. Um, where I spent most of my career. And then I moved to a counseling position and became a counselor at Santa Monica High School. And we were part of the admin team. And that was my most favorite work was working with kids one-on-one where you could really make change happen and really dive in deeply with kids because one-on-one is a very different experience than being a classroom teacher. In my classroom in at Santa Monica High School, I had over 40 kids per class in Spanish 1 and 2. I had um, six and seven periods of 40 kids each. And that's a lot of kids to cycle through a classroom with one teacher and no aid and no support. But I loved it. I loved teaching high school. I think it was my most favorite work. And I was deeply passionate about being there for kids. I also ran a bunch of programs for kids. I took a group of kids to India. I was a track coach for a couple of seasons. I uh, was an anti-defamation league coordinator. I um, had a bunch of groups on campus that I led. 
And so I was pretty involved in the school system and I loved the school system. My mom's also a school teacher. My stepdad is a school teacher. So I come from a long line of school and school teachers and just loving the idea of education, which, and I've always loved kids. So I was the, you know, I was the girl in our neighborhood who babysat all around our cul-de-sac. I loved kids. I, I wanted to always be working with kids. That was my passion and my dream growing up. And finally, I landed in the classroom and I loved being there, but it didn't come without its challenges because being a classroom teacher in public school is really hard because there are so, there's so much bureaucracy and there's so many politics and teachers don't really get to practice their craft like they probably want to because there's so many different constraints that are put on teachers and principals too. I'm sure principals, many principals are former teachers and they came from the classroom and they love kids and the education system, but they too are put under a lot of strain and stress in the public school system in the United States because the expectations are really high and kids and teachers are graded by standardized test scores. And so when you put this standardized testing as your measuring stick, it really puts a wrench in learning because now we're teaching to the test. Now we're being judged by what our kids know or what they don't know, or better said, what they can exemplify or reproduce on a test in a given moment, which isn't a good representation of what kids know or what kids have learned. Not to mention the tests are very comprehensive and they're not a good measure of what's going on in, in any school, I don't believe. They don't really take into consideration any sort of differences, any sort of socioeconomic differences or race differences or, or learning differences. It's just a very, like it said, standardized test. So when we get into this place where we are performance-based, then everyone gets very nervous. Principals are nervous because if they don't make their numbers, then they're not going to get their funding. Then the superintendent comes down on them. If teachers don't do well, if their students don't do well, then the principal doesn't look good. And if the principal doesn't look good, then the superintendent comes in. And it becomes very difficult for us teachers to make good connections in the classroom. So that's what gets lost is that we're so focused on the curriculum. We're so focused on a test that we want perfect obedience in the class because if we don't learn this material, we are not going to get the funding that we need. And if we don't get the funding that we need, then the school can't survive and thrive. And we get stuck in this place as educators where we really want to teach our kids. We want to make connections. We want to do what's best for learning and teaching for that matter. But when we're given this idea that we need to perform for a standardized test, it doesn't help us grow and learn organically because we're all under a lot of pressure. And so this is why one of the reasons why I think the public school system is failing us is because we're not working on connections. If we were working on connections, if class sizes were small, 40 kids in a Spanish one class is unacceptable. That's just crowd control. And of course, when you're needing to control a crowd, what other choice might you have than to use punishments and rewards, not to mention the punishments or rewards are what's taught in, in our teacher credentialing programs still to this day, in many cases, in some not, 
not so much, but in many cases, they're still teaching punishments and rewards as part of their methods classes. And so if you have to control the crowd because you have to get the curriculum taught, because you have to get certain test scores, then we're really not focusing on what's important. And what's important is having good connections with our students. And we're unable to have good connections with our students because the system isn't set up like that. It isn't giving us the place to have good connections with our students. We're just trying to get chapter one done so we can get the test, so we can see, make sure that everyone does well on the test so that they will do well in the standardized tests. And then we have to go on to chapter two and we have to hurry and get through all this curriculum because the test is so vast that they have to get to all these benchmarks. If they don't get to these benchmarks, then they're not going to perform well on part of the test. So we're under this extreme amount of pressure as educators and the principals even have it worse because now they've got all these teachers that they have to motivate to teach well and to really stick to the curriculum and to really, you know, drive it home in order for them to make their numbers. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein alpha-lac found in breast milk as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. You know what I don't miss at all? The vicious week before my period. I always used to feel like I was walking in quicksand and craving the most unhealthy of foods. My sleep was always off and my moods were unpredictable. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. And the biggest benefit, feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 14,000 reviews of Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off the entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code PEACE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PEACE for 15% off today. So let's imagine it differently. What if I was teaching Spanish one at Santa Monica High School and I had 15 kids in my classroom? And I was not going to have a standardized test. And I was able to teach using play, teach using games, teach using the ideas of connection. What if I was able to spend a few minutes with each of my kids each class period? What if I had an hour and a half or two hours with 15 kids to just work on this idea of learning language together? And we didn't care too much how we did on a test or if we even had a test, but we were just trying to immerse ourselves in the Spanish language. And there was no correcting and there was no right and wrong. There was just practicing, practicing a language together and sitting on the floor together and 
examining how you conjugate certain verbs and what that looks like, and really diving into this idea of language. Now that sounds lovely, and it would be lovely. But even in private schools, well, some people will say, well, what about private schools? They have smaller class size. They definitely have smaller class size. But where private schools get stuck is that they are really wanting to, so the elementary and middle schools, they want their kids accepted to the high schools. So they're working really hard to get these kids to be able to pass the entrance exam tests for high school. So we just went through this with Pia and I've gone through it with Esme, is that, you know, you're, you're working really hard to get into high school and you have to perform really well on these tests. And so the middle schools and elementary private schools, they really want those acceptance numbers because that's what drives their enrollment. And so they're very rigorous schools because they want their kids to succeed in the high schools. They want them accepted in the high schools and they want the high schools to say, oh yeah, the kids from such and such school, they were very prepared. They really did well. They excelled on all the tests. And so even in the private schools where you think you'd have a little more room to wiggle, a little bit more space to have connection, sure, you probably have maybe better connections because the class sizes are smaller, but there still is this urgency to get kids into high school and this urgency then for the high schools to get kids into college. So then when you get to the private high schools, the kids are really in a fervor because they need to get accepted to college because that's how the high schools continue to fill their classrooms. That's how they, you know, drive their enrollment. Oh, we got into X, Y, and Z colleges. Oh, we have 99% acceptance rate. Oh, we have X, Y, and Z. And so you have to come to our school. So our whole society is very performance-based. What schools are you going to get into? What college? What's your major? What are you going to do when you get older? And everyone's very hyper-focused on this as opposed to being more focused on how do you feel? What, what's, what is your favorite connection at school? Who do you feel close to? Where are you able to, you know, find some commonalities with the people around you? What, what subject are you really into? When you ask most, most high school kids, and I, we have a lot of kids around our house, you know, that are high school students, middle school students, they all hate school. And they hate school because it's super hard and it's super competitive and it's very rigorous. And the curriculum is insane. I mean, I can't, even do it. I don't even understand it. I didn't take those kind of classes when I was in high school. It was like algebra two and English and chemistry. And that was about it. Well, that's like what my kids are taking as freshmen. And now they're, you know, it's physics and calculus and AP classes. And how many points did you get? And, you know, what did you score on the AP test? And it's, it's, it's quite competitive. And I'm not so sure that it is what is going to breed happy, successful, well-adjusted people. I think we really need to, in our school systems, dive into this idea of connection. Can we form deep connections as educators with our students? Can the system give us the space to do that? Can we have small class sizes? Can we learn ways to teach using the ideas of connection? Can you teach using play? Can you get a tiny bit of special time each week with one of your students? Can you help them learn through this idea of them feeling good about you and about the relationship and not feeling judged? And that's where correction comes into place. If kids don't feel as if they're being corrected all the time, especially in language learning, they're not corrected all the time, then they're more willing to make mistakes. They're more willing to try. They're more willing to take risks. They also are more willing to 
try something super challenging. So what we see too with kids who have grades is that they'll take the easy road. They'll want to do the easy project or the thing that will get them the most points the fastest because they're just trying to get it done. But when you take away grades and when you take away tests and when you take away correction, now you have a kid who's just, you're, you're, you're just saying, hey, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn it? Where can we dive in? Because no one's worried about getting points or getting a grade or being assessed. Kids are more worried about just learning the material, which is so lovely. I would love to have a classroom of 10 or 15 high school students. We could just dive into language. We could just make it so much fun. I used to teach even my 40 students. I used to teach using this idea of games. I'd spend about half the time playing games with my kids. We would play Battleship in Spanish. We would play Hokey Pokey in Spanish. We would play Jeopardy in Spanish. And so we were doing all this fun play and the kids loved it. But it was hard with 40 kids. We barely got through all of the students when we did a round of Jeopardy. And it was, you know, not the most ideal learning because the learning was diminished because there were so many children. You know, and in the smaller grades, can we learn language through, you know, music and through art and through food and and can we make it fun? And I know there's lots of this going on in little pockets in the United States and probably in many other places in the in the world. But I believe that if we restructured our system to really focus on the idea of connection, that our kids would actually perform better. Because if a kid is well connected to themselves and to the adults around them, then they're able to think better. Then their prefrontal is engaged more and they're able to learn more. That's the other thing too, is if these kids are in the classroom and they're worried about getting their points or getting their, their you know, um, clip you know, put to red or put to yellow or put to green or whatever these classroom management, you know, systems do. If they're worried about getting in the wrong color, then it makes it very difficult for them to learn because their prefrontal is disengaged and they can't focus on the material. But if they're relaxed and they're feeling better and they're not feeling judged and they're not sent to a timeout or a body break or in the corner or whatever, some of these teachers are doing because they feel like they have to control the crowd, then they'll feel better and they'll do better and they'll learn more. And so I think this is what needs to come about in our society. And I'm ready. I really want to work on the um, curriculum for teachers. I think that's going to be my next kind of project here is to really dive in and try to help teachers learn some skills around, you know, connection in the, in the classroom. But I also, there's a, there's a bigger issue is that the teachers are not supported. And so if we can get the teachers some more support and smaller class sizes, then they can, of course, do better. The other piece is the emotional piece. And can we, as teachers, if we had small classrooms, if there was a kid who was melting down or having a hard time, would you be able to come to them because you had a small class and you had an aide to take over for you so that you could sit with a kid and listen to their big feelings and empathize with them? and be with them. And it would be okay because you could say, you know what, we're going to let go of the curriculum this afternoon. It's not important because we're going to make sure that everyone's feeling good. And you tell the aide, okay, you're going to take over the lesson. We're going to do it the best we can, but we're going to make sure these kids are emotionally supported. In that though, teachers need support. They can't be the emotional support animal for, you know, 15 kids. They're going to need support from their principals. And so the principals have to have listening time with the teachers in order to support the teachers in their endeavors to listen to the children. And so this empathic wheel 
can get turning in an organization, in a school, if all of the pieces are in place. And so the principal is responsible for listening to the teacher and the teacher is responsible for listening to the students. And we teach the parents also how to listen to their students, to their children. And so everybody's listening and everyone's receiving empathy and everyone's receiving emotional support. Then we all do better because we're all connected. That's in an ideal world, in a situation where we have a lot more money in our school system and we're able to do this. But you know, private schools and charter schools, and there's places to make these things happen in our society. And if you're unhappy with your public school, then you have places where you can be heard. You know, there's lots of districts that have just, they have district meetings, you have district councils and boards and there you could school board and you can even get on your local school team. Sometimes they have a parent position for people getting into PTA is always good just places where we can have a voice and say, this isn't right, what we're doing, how we're treating kids. And historically school, if you if you do any research, is that school was created to produce factory workers. They wanted factory workers to be able to respond to bells and be compliant and follow directions and not get out of line. And so that's where school came from. And that doesn't serve us anymore. It really doesn't. We don't need blind compliance. We don't need people responding to bells and sitting in seats and and shuffling through buildings. We need innovators and thought leaders and kids who want to dive deeply into learning. And we don't have that right now. And it feels icky. So if you want to do something, there's always places to make your voice heard. I'm going to work in my own little tiny way and try to figure out some ways to give teachers some more ideas around connected parenting and connected teaching so that they can expand their pedagogy in their own classrooms. So thanks for listening to me. Thanks for validating my soapbox, so to speak. I hope you made it through the end. Thanks for joining me on the Peace and Parenting podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.